Well, thank you very much. We appreciate the, that song and the singing this morning. They had asked me earlier what some of my favorite hymns were, and of course, a couple of them appeared this morning, so I really appreciate that as well. So it's great. We uh, are glad that you guys will be praying for us, and we will be praying for you uh, during this time. You know, prior to my leaving uh, for the f- first sabbatical, the elders had asked me to to do a sermon about the biblical support and idea foundation for this whole concept of pastoral sabbaticals and, and just so we would all be on the same page uh, in, in our understanding of that. And since uh, it's been seven years and there are a number of new families in the church since then and since some of you that were here might not have perfect memories and, and, and remembered everything, uh, they had asked me to do that again uh, before I leave. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Before we get into it, though, let's commit this time to the Lord. Father God, we are thankful for uh, just the opportunity to worship this morning, to draw our hearts to you. And we've done that through song, through giving, through our fellowship together. Now, as we look into your word, God, we, we again... Um, open ourselves to you. We, we ask that your spirit would be free to work in our hearts and minds today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so seven years ago, uh, the idea of uh, sabbatical was, was brand, to, brand new to all of us. I mean, not, not that we hadn't heard of it before, right? Uh, uh, we'd, we'd heard of the idea of a sabbatical, but usually it was in the hallowed halls of higher learning, you know, that we, we thought about it. Some professor from college gets to take a year off to, you know, write a book or do a research project or get an advanced degree or something like that. And that's normally what we think of in sabbaticals in our society uh, nowadays is, is something like that. In the church context, in fact, for many years and even up through now, sabbaticals often have a very negative uh, connotation. I mean, a sabbatical was something that happened when a pastor was about ready to suffer a nervous breakdown, and, and if he didn't have some extended time off, he was going to end up in a padded cell somewhere. So, hey, let's, let's, I guess we better give this guy a break or something like that. Or even worse, uh, it would be used as a time when perhaps there was conflict between the pastor and the leaders or the church as a whole, and they decided we just need a break from each other, so they send this pastor packing for a time so everybody can can cool down and get a different perspective or even worse if there was a moral failing on the part of the pastor and therefore they sent him away for some church discipline and and hopefully counseling and and restoration and all that kind of stuff and they called all those things sabbaticals as they were uh doing that type of thing and and really uh, oftentimes in situations like that, what would end up happening is the pastor would come back and resign or he would get fired in the, in, in the process, one of the two. And so sabbaticals had kind of this negative uh, connotation. So since we as, as a church uh, weren't doing it because of any of those negative things, um, uh, but but that's all we had heard, uh, you know, for the most part with us. I was, you know, kind of nervous uh, about going when they, the elders approached me with the idea and then church was kind of nervous about staying. I mean, well, we just didn't know uh, what all was going to happen, but we pushed through it and, and got it done anyways because uh, the, the sabbatical we had planned was something totally different and for a different purpose than any of those negative reasons. 
And afterwards, when it was all done and said, we discovered that uh, the sabbatical was, was actually good for both of us, which is what Greg Fell, the, our district superintendent, uh, who was the guy who first suggested this whole idea of a sabbatical, uh, that's what he said was going to happen uh, and, 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 and would be true for us. I mean, he came and he, he set forth the idea that a planned sabbatical uh, when nothing bad was going on and it's not a reaction to anything negative happening in the church would actually be healthy and an opportunity for growth, both for me personally and for the church corporately. And so uh, we, we discovered that was true as we went through it and, and the church has set up now a regular sabbatical uh, plan and purpose. And so that's what's rolling around now again this year. Uh, after seven years, it's hard to be me to believe it's been seven years uh, since the last time, but um, that's what we're doing. And so they had asked me to preach again on, on that. Uh, we're we're going to cover that biblical concept and idea of a sabbatical uh, uh, again, and then maybe some ideas of how it is good for both of us. So for those of you that were here seven years ago, and, and you do have perfect memories and so forth, uh, feel free to pull out your phone, play a little Candy Crush or whatever during this, because, uh, no, don't do that. My feelings might be hurt. Um, and, but you might uh, recognize some of these things. We'll repeat a little bit. Um, there is no verse in the Bible that speaks directly to uh, the idea of uh, pastoral sabbatical. You can search the scriptures all you want and you are not going to find a passage that says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, thou shalt give unto thine pastor after many years of faithful service a sabbatical of rest who sustaineth his soul. You're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible. But the teaching and the idea of rest is there. Uh, the word sabbatical obviously comes from the same root word as Sabbath uh, in the scriptures. And it has the same basic meaning. The Greek word is sabbaton. And, and the Jews uh, came to use that word specifically uh, to uh, speak of the day of rest that God had commanded. It, it meant to them a day of weekly repose is what it it means for the Jews. The, the word literally means to stop, to cease, to repose, to celebrate, to leave, to put down, and to put away. And I, I'm sure it's pretty common knowledge that the Jews got this idea of, of this period of rest and a time, uh, a day of rest, directly from God, right? Genesis chapter 1 tells us about God's work of creation and all that he did in, in creating. And he said that he did this work in six literal days. And then chapter 2 of Genesis says this, By the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from his work which God had created and made. So the word sanctified means to set apart. Okay, he set apart this seventh day. But the question, of course, is for whom did he set it apart? Who needed the rest, right? 
I mean, it certainly wasn't God, right? It's not, the prophet Isaiah says of God, do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. So see, it's, it's not like God needed this break or a day off after all this exhausting work of creating on the first six days of the week, right? He sanctified the seventh day for us. He was modeling something for us. We are the ones who need rest because we are the ones who have bodies that grow weary and become tired, not God. So he modeled this idea of resting for us. A little later on, God took that example that he had set in creation and he codified it in the law, right? In the giving the Ten Commandments, God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. And he repeated that idea with one additional thought in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3. He says, for six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. So that idea of a holy convocation uh, for the Lord, to the Lord, which is, you know, the idea of getting together to specifically worship and praise God and, and, and to grow in your relationship with Him. That idea was added to this concept of, of rest on that seventh day. Now, Jesus, He made it clear that God's intention was not that a person couldn't do anything uh, on the Sabbath day. Uh, in fact, Jesus chided on more than one occasion the religious leaders, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees and all, all this stuff, and all those ridiculous rules that they had made up about how you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath day. You know, since God said you're not to work, well, we have to define for you what's work. So if you're doing work, we can tell you you're doing bad. And, and so uh, they made up all these rules, like how far you could walk on the Sabbath day. Because after, if you took one more step, you'd go 2,000 cubits. If you go 2,000 cubits, that's fine. But if you go 2,001, you're working. And, and so you can't do that. Of course, that kind of put them in a, you know, 2,000 cubits from your home because you're supposed to stay in your dwelling for the Sabbath. But then they thought, well, man, my friend lives across the town there and I can't get to him. So they, they modified their rule a bit and they said, well, your, your whole town counts as your dwelling, your abode. So it's 2,000 cubits outside the city limits. That's as far as you can go. But you can travel as much as you want in city limits. But then they said, well, man, I have some friends that live, you know, uh, outside of town on the ranch out there. I wanted to go visit them. So they made up another rule that said, if the day before the Sabbath, you would go out and you'd set up a stool with some food on it, then uh, you could measure that out 2,000 cubits from the city limits. And then when you would stop there and rest on the stool and eat the food, that became your figurative abode of dwelling so then you could go another 2,000 cubits from that and, and, and they were making these things up all kinds of rules a woman could not look in a mirror on the Sabbath day because if she looked in the mirror she might notice a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it out and if you plucked it out that was work or she might think that her appearance was a bit disheveled and to unshevel herself would be work. So you couldn't do that. 
If you wanted a bit of mint in your iced tea, you were forbidden from plucking a leaf of mint and throwing it in your iced tea because that would be harvesting, and harvesting is actually work. I mean, they had all these rules. And, and, and in fact, they, they went hard against Jesus, right? Saying, oh, look at Jesus. He's breaking the Sabbath because he's healing people on the Sabbath and healing his work. And, and so Jesus, he, he confronted their hypocrisy and said, hey, man, you guys, you got a donkey that falls in a pit on the Sabbath day. You work really hard to get that donkey out. So shouldn't people be helped on the Sabbath day? Um, and then he went on to state God's principle behind it he, is, is what he meant. Mark two twenty seven. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, it's not about keeping a bunch of these rules. If you want a bit of mint in your tea, go ahead and pluck a mint leaf and stick it in your tea. It's about making sure you have that time of rest and refreshment for your soul and your body. Now, obviously, this idea of Sabbath rest is for everyone, right? God realized that no matter what you do, what your weekly schedule is, what your duties or vocation are, you need time to refresh both your body and your soul. That's good for all of us. So, of course, my question for you is this. Are you making time to rest every week? I mean, this, this type of refreshment, it's not just for pastors, it's for all of us. But of course, that is just a one day a week type of thing. So maybe you're running, well, okay, but what about this whole idea of this lengthy sabbatical? You know, Greg had said, I'm going to be gone for three months. It, it, what, where does this idea of, of, of a longer length come from? Is there anything else in the Bible about that? And the answer uh, is, yeah, I, b- I believe it is uh, in there. See, on top of the Sabbath day rest, God also instituted three annual feasts for his people to observe. And two of those feasts were week-long events, and one of them was two weeks long in in its duration. And every family of Israel, the men and and the men would bring the families, were supposed to attend those feasts. They they were mandated. These, These were mandatory things. And that meant that there would be a month of time between those three festivals Uh, throughout the year where uh, they were uh, taken away from their normal work schedule to be able to get together with other people to celebrate and worship God and and to focus on those things of what God had done for them. Um, Other than the priests, of course, who who had to work during that time because that's part of the duties of uh, of the feast. But for us, we think of a week away like that or several weeks during the year, that's that's closer to a vacation than a sabbatical, right? Um, but again, it, I believe it shows, just like the single day of rest, it shows God's intention that people should spend a time away from normal work for the refreshment of body and soul. I mean, God realized that people needed these breaks from work, so he put it into the life uh, of the Jewish nation. Vacations are biblical, they really are. It's a biblical thing. And, and you know, we in America have almost, uh, almost deified the idea of a good work ethic, right? And the Bible does teach a good work ethic, by the way. 
but we've gone over the edge and and trying to lift up the workaholic, you know. Oh, I never take a break. I'm working 60, 80 hours a week and I'm getting ahead and I'm doing this stuff. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. We need times of rest. And so maybe you're thinking, well, okay, I I get that. I, I see that. Yeah, it's good for us to have a day a week. It's good for us to have a week you know, here and there throughout the year where we can take breaks and do that. But is there anything that would indicate a longer period of time like what we're planning here? And again, I think there is. The Leviticus chapter 25, God gave this command. He said, six years you shall sow your field and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its crop. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest. Rest to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. There was to be this full year of rest for the land. Right? Now, now, God, we all know, he's a pretty smart guy. And, and so he knew all about these good agricultural practices uh, even before man figured them out. Right? The Israelites would have had no idea about nutrients and soil and all, you know, that it could become depleted and, and less productive. They would have just seen the results of that, that year after year after year. If the land didn't have a rest, it was, it, it, it was um, um, used up and worn out. His productivity was God, gone. And, and God knew these things, so he commanded it beforehand. So my question is this. Is God's primary concern in issuing this particular command, is his main concern the dirt? That, that, that the soil, the, the agricultural practices, that the soil would be as good as it could be? Or is there something more to it? something that applies to people. And my contention is that God's primary concern is always people. I mean, he was very pleased with his creation. We know that, right? God said it is, it is good. But with people, he loves them. He's pleased with his creation, but he loves people. And behind all of God's commands, I believe are an overarching concern for people. So let me give you an example of how this can work out from the Apostle Paul. This is something that we know uh, God has done through the Apostle Paul. In Deuteronomy 25.4, God gave a law that seems pretty straightforward to us and simple, right? You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Uh, God cares about the way we treat our animals, uh, in particular uh, the ones that are performing a work that benefit you. You need to take care of that animal. Well, the Apostle Paul took that law and he gives it a people application in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. He says, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. So see, it was an example of sharing. If we sowed, then he gives it a a, a third, a further uh, application. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So now, did you notice the way that Paul argued in this passage? He said that the law about not muzzling the ox was not so much about the oxen, although, yes, it did benefit them, but it was about people. And I think we can safely say that behind all of God's laws, the primary concern is people. So how would this apply to that sabbatical law concerning the land? 
Well, yes, on, on, the, on the lowest level, the, the, land, the law was actually good for the soil and the vineyards. It, it helped productivity, uh, just as muzzling the ox was, was good for the ox. But if God's main concern is for people, how did this year-long sabbatical for the land affect them? And, and I think there's at least a couple of ways we could highlight. First, since almost everybody lived from working the land, when they couldn't work the land, that meant they didn't work, right? I mean, that was their job, to work the land, to get the food, to survive for the vast majority of people. Or at least they would work a lot less during that land. I mean, I'm sure there were always projects to do around the house, right? Uh, There might be some repair on equipment and things like this. But the truth is, when the land got a sabbatical, they got a sabbatical too. Uh, And and without planting and tending and pruning and harvesting and weeding and all those types of things, their workload would have been greatly reduced. They would have had plenty of time for rest, plenty of time for family, for friends, to renew and rebuild relationships. And we know that God's all about relationships. This sabbatical law for the land would have affected, like I said, almost everybody in Israel because there were very few who didn't get their living off the land. So yeah, God was commanding it for the dirt, but it would have greatly affected each person. You know, one of the most common responses that I get when I've been talking to people outside the church about about my upcoming sabbatical is something along the lines of this, where they would say, man, it must be nice to be a pastor and, and be able to get that kind of thing because I got my job and I don't get a sabbatical for my job. And I say to that, you know, that's too bad. You really should, you really should uh, get a sabbatical. Uh, did you know that, that, that the business world is, is just recently been coming around to this idea uh, of offering sabbaticals uh, for their employees? And by the way, you know which company gets credit for starting the idea of sabbaticals for their top employees? McDonald's. McDonald's back in the late 80s and 90s in their corporate headquarters and worldwide, you know, this type of thing, realized that uh, their, their top employees um, would be better off with, with extra rest because of the stress of the job. And so they, they found, uh, they started offering six-month to one-year sabbaticals for their, their uh, corporate employees, their top ones, and they found that they came back, they were better employees, better workers, more productive, uh, and and that they were able to retain in their company the best of the best employees because, hey, who'd want to leave when you get this this type of benefit? And so it just turned out good. Well, then other major corporations began following suit, American Express, IBM, Nike, Intel, AT&T. All these companies joined in. They are all offering sabbaticals now. In 2008, a survey was done and they found that 33% of large companies, which is a company with over 1,000 employees, 33% offer sabbaticals. Uh, 24% of small companies, 100 or less employees, 24% of them in the United States now are offering sabbaticals. They're starting to, to get this picture. It's almost as if they figured out that God had a pretty good idea. Um, of course, most of them don't want to give any credit to God uh, for that, but, but this business world is catching on to that idea. So if you're thinking, man, I, I, I could use a sabbatical, 
well, you know what? I, I think you could too. I, I, I think it truly appears to be something that God thought would be good for us. And again, this isn't about pastors, right? As you look in this, this was everybody. This was the people of Israel. It, it, it is something that God seemed to establish as a positive thing. So uh, uh, that might be uh, new food for thought for any Christian employers in here uh, about how they might handle some ideas like that. But there's a second way that I think that God's sabbatical law would have affected the Jewish people. In Leviticus 25.20, we read this, but if you say, he's talking about the sabbatical, this one-year sabbatical for the land, but if you say, what are we going to eat on the seventh year if we do not sow or gather in our crops? That seems like a pretty reasonable question, doesn't it? Hey, if we don't do our work, if we don't plant our crops, what are we going to eat? How are we going to survive? How are we going to live? And God's answer was this, then I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth the crop for three years. So basically, his answer was, hey, you just have to trust me. I'm going to provide for you. And I think God's people purpose in this sabbatical law for the land was not just that the land would get rest and not even that the people would get rest but that they would grow in their dependence and trust in God. And that's always a good thing, isn't it? So now, going back to the Apostle Paul's use of that law of muzzling ox, right? That law had a practical application to the ox. It was good for him. He he got to eat. It had an application to the people. In this case, it was the owner saying, hey, you ought to, you know, as you're seeing that happening, you're... you're, uh, your ox is eating as you're threshing, it's a reminder that God has applied this abundance and you can share. You've gotten this so you can share with others. But then Paul also gave it a a spiritual application specifically for pastors and missionaries because he says that principle carries over to people that way. It taught that ministers should be taken care of by those that were benefiting from their work. Just as the ox was... uh, causing a benefit for the owner so the owner was taking care of him he said in that same way it should work for those who who care for you spiritually so does the sabbatical law for the land maybe have that same kind of three-tiered application and again i i think that it does it obviously has that practical application it's good for the land but then it has uh, a, a general people um application is good for them bringing rest and and this idea of trust uh, in god for their provisions but i believe there's this also spiritual application to those in ministry just like the land gets used up becomes barren and useless without periods of extended rest and refreshment so also can pastors and ministers and here's why i say that I know that every job, no matter what your job is, it has stresses and it has difficulties, right? Everybody can say, you know, man, there's stress in my job. That's why I think sabbaticals in every aspect are good. But in pastoral ministry, that's especially true. It's multiplied and compounded because we have an enemy that targets faithful ministers. Satan couldn't care less if some executive at McDonald's figured out a way to sell more hamburgers, right? That, that doesn't bother Satan a bit. But even McDonald's figured out it's good for their people. But it does bother Satan when pastors start teaching and training people in the Word of God 
teaching them for success and fruitfulness in ministry and in life and service. And so the truth is, Satan targets pastors. Let me just share a couple of statistics that come from H.B. London. You may have heard his name. He works with Focus on the Family for, for many, many years. And uh, according to their research, they found out these things. Number one, 33% of pastors said that they felt burnt out within the first five years of ministry. 40%, just right now, if you ask, 40% right now say they're suffering from burnout, frantic schedules, or unrealistic expectations. 52% of pastors say that they and their spouses believe that being in the ministry has been hazardous and detrimental to their family's well-being and health. 52%. This one, this next one, this is really sad to me. 57% of pastors right now said they would leave the ministry if they had somewhere else to go or some other vocation they could do. Can you believe that? 75% report in the past year, in this year, Extended periods of severe stress, causing anguish, worry, bewilderment, anger, depression, fear, and alienation. He has a whole list of these, but I'm going to just give you one more. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every single month. Every single month. Due to burnout, conflict, or moral failure. And our superintendent, Greg Fell, told us that a planned and purposeful preemptive sabbatical is the second best weapon against those kinds of statistics. In the sabbatical, he give the pastor a chance for extended rest, for refreshment, for rejuvenation. It's a chance to recharge his battery so that he'll get uh, uh, rested and strengthened for the work and the battle that's before him. So now, maybe you're wondering, if that's the second best, what's the first? And Greg said it's this, a healthy church and good leadership. And DJ and I are so thankful for this congregation that has shown us love and care from the very beginning. You have made it a point not to, to heap unrealistic expectations on us. You have made it so that ministry isn't a hazard to our family. In fact, the opposite, a blessing to us. And we are incredibly grateful for the strong biblical leadership here. There are team leaders who take seriously their ministry, their work and call and mission to the church, and elders who... who share the load, who pray for the church, who stand on biblical principles and who have a genuine care and concern for the body. And I truly believe that it's because of leadership like that and and loving congregation like you that desires to know God, to follow Him and to be on mission that I haven't become a statistic like so many others. So before we do leave, DJ and I wanted to say thank you for making this sabbatical possible. We want to say thank you for trusting God that you will continue to grow. And, and, and one of my favorite pastors, Dwayne Laughlin, is going to be here for most of the summer. You, you will grow and be encouraged in his preaching. 
that you'll continue to be the church, to be reaching out into this community, to be on mission, even while I'm gone. So yeah, there's benefits for the pastor. I've stated some of the obvious ones, right? He gains time for refreshment, renewal, both body and soul. Or gain time to decompress from the pressures and demands and intensity and expectations of ministry. A sabbatical allows time for evaluation and uh, uh, direction. It also allows uh, time to think of new ideas, to maybe look at different ways to approach some of the same things. And uh, another benefit, these, these are coming from a Focus on the Family book, by the way, that they put on this. Another benefit is they say a rested minister is more apt to minister to his people out of grace. You know, when people come into my office, they don't need me to slap them in the face and say, what's wrong with you? But maybe to... <laughs> ministering out of a position of grace is probably more effective for the overall... And the congregation, of course, benefits as well. Again, according to that same focus on the family study, congregations often realize in a new and fresh way how well the church body is meant to function together, how everyone needs to step up and be a part and use their gifts and abilities. A sabbatical can be a proving ground for up-and-coming leaders, new people to step up and take positions. It can be a time when congregations will recognize that, yes, the pastor is an important piece of, of the church puzzle, but our church is not dependent upon him. It's dependent upon God. And God's going to do what God's going to do. And that's always a good thing to learn, isn't it? Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for this opportunity. Um, we thank you for the fact that you are the head of the church and that you have a plan for what is best for us and for the church and, and best for uh, our ability to, to be light and, and salt in this community. And so, God, we pray that you would bless us through this time, strengthen us. We're thankful, uh, God, that you give us this type of clear instruction. We pray that you would that you would help all of us to learn to rest in you, to take those times of refreshment that we need so that we can be on mission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.